1: You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. What is up? I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 258 of the Pure Desire Podcast. You're joining me as always is my co host, Nick Stembo.
2: You've got a lot more going
1: for you with Hank Hardware Hank. You've, I feel like, between, I don't know, maybe it's just. Maybe it's just a vibe I'm picking up. You're singing a lot more recently. Have you joined a worship team? Are you now with your quartet again? Like, what is this re-fascination with music and singing on your intros?
2: Uh, am I like the last couple? I didn't. I think it's the ones that we've. You're listening to the ones we've recently aired, and then what we're recording today. I, I've sung a lot. Yeah. Um, no, that one came as a suggestion from Chris, aka Eric. Uh, he'll know what that means. In Missouri. You he said, hey, okay. you should use that as a, a jingle. So no, nothing in particular. It's, um, you know, when you're on episode 250, whatever, you use whatever you can get as an oh, that's, intro. That's so, fair.
1: That's fair. As you said that whole Chris-Eric thing, I just thought of the line from Elf where he's like, I like secrets too. Because <laughs> uh, all the listeners are now like, great. They have an inside joke. Anyways, uh, let's get to why, because um, I am interested in why. Let me intro a little bit too of who we're talking to today. We had Preston Sprinkle on uh, the podcast today. Preston is the president for the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. He's a biblical scholar, international speaker, and a New York Times bestselling author, which makes me a fanboy. Uh, and he has written numerous books, including People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue, Living in a Gray World, A Christian Teen's Guide to Homosexuality, and Embodied, Transgender Identities of the Church and What the Bible Has to Say, He's also served as the general editor for the new book, Two Views on Homosexuality, the Bible and the Church. He's given talks to thousands of people worldwide on the topic of faith, sexuality, and gender. And he and his wife, Chris, live with their four kids in Boise, Idaho, as we learned at the end of our episode today. So we had Preston on really just to talk about this conversation of the church, how we approach and have conversations and address anybody in the LGBTQ community.
2: Yeah. And as we brought up on the episode, whether it's same-sex attraction, gender, pornography, betrayal, like these yeah. are hard conversations to have. Yes, And most people in the church, most of us, um, have maybe some preconceived ideas and ways that we have just responded that haven't always been helpful. And so we're trying to uh, train ourselves how to have hard conversations, how to respond when someone shares something that honestly internally makes us uncomfortable, but we don't want to ruin the relationship by how we respond. And so Just having these conversations is so important. And I I think the theme that I hear, and this relates to my intro, you've got to know the story. Yep. So if you grew up in the Midwest in the 80s and 90s and listened to Minnesota Twins games on the radio, you probably heard Hardware Hank's jingle and are now cursing me because that little jingle will be stuck in your head the rest of the day because I swear every single commercial break of a Twins game was Hardware Hank. (laughs) Um, And that's my story of why it's in my mind because most people have probably never heard Never. Um, that that commercial. So in a, in a connected way, when it comes to walking through life with others who are mm-hmm. dealing with same-sex attraction, gender issues, or whether it's something we've been through, there's a story there. And if we don't know the story, it's not going to make much sense to us because it's yeah. going to be like a foreign ad. Like, why yeah. did you even bring that up? Yeah. But if we hear the story, if we know the connection points, like, oh, okay. Then we start to see ways that we can lean in and we can be a friend or even be a friend to ourselves totally. as we understand our own story. So I thought it was a great conversation. Uh, Preston's a lot of fun to to dialogue with and totally. we just appreciated seeing the ways that what he's doing and what we're doing at Pure Desire has a lot of connection because we're trying to open some doors that uh, can be difficult to open. Absolutely. <laughs> Hard conversations.
1: Absolutely. And this episode really is great. Preston is amazing. Uh, a few things before we get going, subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the major platforms. Give us a review. It helps, uh, really, really does. Also, make sure to follow us on social media: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pure Desire PDMI. And you can find this full episode up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. And then, Nick, we want to just remind people we're getting closer and closer and closer to the 2022 Pure Desire Summit. Talk Hey-o.
2: about it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Right in the middle of September, we you know we moved it a week because it was right after Labor Day, and had people say, "Man, I." Really want to come, but it's such a start of the school year, so we moved it a week later, yep, so that you could come and hang out with us in no Portland, excuses <laughs> or you could watch online uh virtually or attend one of the host sites that is a new thing this Ayo. year so we we just feel that the summit is going to be that annual wind in your sails, encouragement in my journey, and if you're in the first year of recovery, it's probably obvious to you why that's helpful, like man yeah. to be around people that are Doing the kind of stuff I'm doing is awesome. But for many of us that are, we're five years into this journey or 10 or 15, I think there come points we get a little disillusioned or yeah. we get into our ruts or we're just yeah. like, well, what's, what's God want to do now? And so having a focal point, a weekend to just gather and say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in my story now? How do you want me to stay engaged in, in recovery? Because recovery isn't a one-time thing. Mm-mm. Recovery is a lifelong journey. Absolutely. And we want to all continue to lean into that. So I think the summit will give you ideas. It'll give you fresh inspiration. It'll help you meet other people that are on this journey and, and really move you into the next season. So join us for the summit. We're stoked. Uh, so glad to have Julie Slattery and Jay Stringer yep. and Ashley Jameson oh, speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's going to go. be so good. Yeah. So, so, don't so
1: miss it. September 16 and 17, you can join us in person in Troutdale, Oregon, online or at our site host. Just go to puredesire.org slash summit 22 and register today. All right, here's our time with Preston Sprinkle talking about really how to balance LGBTQ, the conversations and relationships while maintaining a biblical sexual ethic. Preston Sprinkle, welcome to the Pure Desire podcast. Thanks for being with us, man. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: I don't know. I mean, Nick, maybe you can talk to your fandom a little bit, um, but I think it's safe to say we're both fans of you and your work and the conversations you're having. I know for me, I've listened to your podcast, Theology in the Raw, um, quite a bit over the last, um, probably last year. Um, I have some friends who have been on it and people I wish I was friends with <laughs> on your podcast as well. And so I've <laughs> been listening to your stuff, but um, our listeners will have maybe heard, well, they will for sure hear about you in the intro. Um, But we're grateful that you're just willing to spend time with us talking about um, what you and your organization are passionate about, which is Mm -hmm. really the LGBTQ community and the church. So um, for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you or your ministry, your books, your work, anything, will you tell them a little bit about yourself and the kind of ministry that you're in?
3: Sure. Yeah. So I'm president of a nonprofit called uh, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And our whole mission is to help uh, resource the church typically like Christian leaders, um, on questions about faith, sex, body, and gender, and our kind of twin pillars are theological faithfulness. Okay. And then uh, courageous love. So how can we, um, hold true to what the Bible says about, um, faith, sexuality, and gender, um, and also love people who may fall short of that standard, which, yeah. which really is all of us at the end of the day, but specifically, you know, LGBTQ People have, um, for the most part, most part, had a really poor experience with with Christians in the church. So I'm trying to help change the culture of the church um, to make it more uh, more kind, more hospitable, more totally. loving, um, and yet um, also maintaining a historic Christian view of uh, sexual ethics. Um, and I, you know, I don't think those two are at, are at odds. I guess that's my 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 big selling point. The the big heart of my mission is. Um, I think you can be loving toward all people while maintaining a traditional sexual ethic. So yeah, uh, we've been going for, um, gosh, almost five. Yeah. Over five years now. Before that I I had written some books on what the Bible says about sexuality. Um, recently wrote a book on transgender identities. And so, um, I would say I've been in this conversation maybe for about eight years or so writing and speaking and, mm. and so on. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey <laughs> for
1: sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, such a, a needed conversation and i mean, imagine that what you described a church that is loving and kind towards people that aren't like us. And it's, yeah. it is kind of sad that we live in a day and age that that's not necessarily a given, right. you know, what we know about the church, right. we should be <laughs> loving and kind towards all people. Uh, and yet, this is an area I think, especially that we have struggled because there's so many misunderstandings. There's misconception. There's uh, people are quick to jump to judgments or ideas of what it means if someone says, "I am this" or "I'm that," and it, it just can be difficult and because of that it's easy to avoid. Yeah. And I think a lot of Christians do avoid it until maybe something happens in their world that's very personal. Something happens in their family, uh, a friend, someone comes out and says, "I've decided I'm." You know, uh, the other gender, or I'm letting yeah. you know I'm gay, and all of a sudden, something they've worked very hard to avoid is very personal and front and center, and they end up, you know, grabbing hold of of books by Preston Sprinkle and saying, yeah. "Okay, what what is it that I need to understand?" Yep, because I, I think many of us did mm-hmm. grow up in a type of Christianity that basically made these, like you just said, kind of mutually exclusive. That well, we either love and embrace or we have a biblical ethic of sexuality and yeah. there's really nowhere right. in either between. Yep. So I, I love the way, Preston, you're mm-hmm. creating a framework for how can we do both well, because I, I think what you just said is, is so key. And so tell us a little bit, You know, one of the jokes we make around here is no one aspires to going into a ministry to work with sexual integrity and brokenness yeah. and pornography and addiction like That's not a little kid's dream when they're shooting hoops in the driveway. (laughs) And so I I imagine kind of similar for you, like you didn't aspire to say, boy, one day I want to, I want to wade into the most controversial topics that exist in in the Christian world. So how how did you find yourself moving into this arena? What, what did God do in your life to bring you to this place?
3: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I sort of did fall into it. I don't have any in my personal story, never wrestled with same-sex attraction Never really had anybody close to me that did. So it, it really began as a almost like an academic journey. Like I love theology. I, I you know, I was teaching at a Bible college for many years. And um I, I love to wrestle with, you know, controversial issues. I'm I'm not a controversial kind of person, but usually if something's controversial in the church, it's usually because. You know, there's smart people on both sides, and there's yeah. things we need to kind of think through. And I've always been, even prior to wrestling with sexuality and stuff, I, I've I've often been a fan of um, asking the question: What does the Bible actually say? Yeah. You know, if I said, "Is sex outside of marriage okay or not?" Most Christians are going to say, "Well, no." And if I said, "I right, prove it from scripture," yeah, how many could cite a chapter or a verse, or you know? Um, yeah. You know or the you know i say like oh god says don't commit adultery i'm like okay that's having sex with somebody else's spouse what about two consensual teenagers who are in love you know um and, and i just i've I've often been disappointed with kind of what i call you know thin answers to thick questions you know there's mm-hmm. this complex thing i'm wrestling with and i go to you know a christian and hey w- what do you think about this and they usually give some kind of like just an answer that just seems regurgitated and yeah. flat and not too thoughtful so Anyway, my whole Christian journey has been trying to really understand, not just what do I believe, but why do I believe it? Yeah. So all that kind of gave me a running start to, you know, in 10 years ago, and somebody suggested I should write a book on what the Bible says about homosexuality. And mm. and I said, all right, I'll, you know, I thought it'd be a, a quick and easy book to write. Um, <laughs> come to find out. There's a lot Knock a it out on a long, and I, yeah, on a long yeah, weekend. Yeah, here huh? I am, you know, 10 years later. Oh my gosh. Um. So 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 it, it, it so to answer your question, it really did begin out of a theological interest. Like, oh, yeah. wow, I guess I've i never actually worked through what the Bible says about this. I know yeah. what I'm supposed to say, but I don't really know what the Bible says. And so that took me on a theological journey. But then that quickly led into a relational journey where I started to get, yeah. get to know lots of gay and lesbian uh, people, many of whom were raised in a church and mm. pretty much all of whom had a horrible relational experience in the church, yeah, not yeah. just like. Oh, the church was loving and kind, but you know I just couldn't sign off on its traditional sexual ethic. I've rarely, if ever, heard that wow. narrative yeah. where it really was simply the theology that yeah. was the the hangup. Uh, yeah. In almost every story that I've heard of dozens and dozens of LGBT people raised in a the church, yeah. there was there was relational stuff that I'm like, well, we could fix that without changing our theology. So yeah, um, yeah, that that kind of ignited my my real passion in in the in the journey.
1: Yeah. I like what you said, the thin answer to the thick question. I think yeah. we wade into that pretty often as our organization. I mean, I you know, sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma. Just don't do it. Yeah. I man. mean, yeah. Or just pray stop. harder, just stop serve it, yeah. more. Get you know, off the like, internet. Right. Don't do that. Yeah. Get rid of your smartphone. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, like, I don't know. I, 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 What's funny is people who say that must not remember what it was like to be a teenager and like the challenge of finding ways around all of the like hurdles we put in our, yeah. our way. Like, there, there was some like excitement to that. Anyways, let's not get too deep into that. But um, so with hot button topics like this, and, and you know, I think to your point, the reason why I would even say hot button topic or controversial to your point is that there are educated people on both sides weighing in on their perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's not a clear like black and white. Here is the exact answer. There's a tension or a line um, to be walked, mm-hmm. I think. So with that, and your focus on this arena, where would you say Christians in general are missing the mark on these topics? Mm-hmm. And then where are we
3: doing a good job when it comes to these topics? Wow. Um, yeah, that's a big question. And it would probably change year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when I first really started to dive into the topic, so let's just say eight years ago, nine years ago... Um. I think Christians work intent knowing what they believe without why they believe it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, a few passages, Christians just kind of just absorb like, Oh yeah. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, therefore homosexuality is wrong. And, um, but have they really taken time to understand some of these biblical arguments? Some some are better than others. Um, And just so everybody, I mean, I, you know, to to some people's chagrin, I, I hold firmly to a traditional, view of marriage and sexuality i think the bible is very clear on this and that mm-hmm. even that statement makes some people upset so yeah everything i say is under under that rubric yeah, but um sure. yeah there's there's still i mean i hopefully i can be honest enough to say yeah there, there's still some arguments that use the bible that aren't that good like sodom and gomorrah you know the story about an entire city the entire male population young old um went to go gang rape two angels who they yeah. thought were men. And then I've, I've I've seen Christians say, you know, look at this passage. And they go to some 14 year old who just said, I think I'm attracted to the two other uh, boys, you know, and uh, like, no, no, it's wrong. Look. And he's looking at yeah. this passage saying, you know, I've never wrestled with one of the gang rape spiritual beings. Like that's the yeah. only thing I've <laughs> <Exactly>. wrestled <laughs> with, you know, and, yeah and and it can really, really dehumanizing like, yeah hmm. cause Christians are looking at this and it's like, wait, are you reading the same path? Like, do you think I'm that? Cause that's really discouraging, you know, totally. like, um, so I think, I think, and this, I guess this still goes for today, like Christians in our, in our race to defend the truth, you know, sometimes there can be fear and, and kind mm-hmm. of lack of nuance. Yeah. And so I, I just really want Christians to think hard about what, why they believe what they do and mm-hmm. develop really thoughtful reasons for what they believe that could withstand scrutiny from really smart people on the other Side and 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 that that was I would say the biggest hurdle for for a long time in my journey was helping mm. Christians have that kind of posture because there's that fear right if I challenge some of their reasons for their belief it sounds like I'm disagreeing with their belief I'm like no I'm, I'm I believe what you your conclusion I'm just like let's respect the word of God enough mm. to make sure we're handling it carefully I think now though I think most churches and Christians that I work with they they've you know, there's been so much written on it in the last eight, 10 years. So they've read some books. They've, they've, you know, um, they've got people in the congregation who are gay. They have parents who have, you know, several gay kids now. And so it's, it's not such an out there topic anymore. Now it's very close to so many Christians that I think there is a healthy, like, oh, I, I really need to be careful with this conversation. I think another big area where, where Christians have kind of maybe it could have done better is just understanding the complexity of language too Mm -hmm. you know yeah um sometimes we conflate being trans with being gay we we do that a lot actually which being trans has nothing to do with being gay really i mean some trans people are gay some are straight some are bisexual some are asexual um even trans can mean 11 different things to 10 different people right like ask people oh that person's not really trans what does it mean to be really trans define that for me yeah um, and you and did that like
1: in your book embodied you did that quite a bit i mean i even on the front end really honing in on why why language matters and how all these different nuances to each term is interpreted because yeah. you talked about even gender dysphoria being something that people right. would use the word trans in order to explain right. that yeah so language being huge for sure
3: yeah and that that's always a perpetual Hurdle in this conversation is helping people understand. There's complexity with these terms; they're used very differently, and don't assume you think you know what somebody means when they use a term that maybe somebody else might use it differently. Which, which makes the discussion both frustrating and exciting. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, for all of us to remember, we
2: have a need to listen and to learn before we speak and judge or tell someone how to live their life. If, if we haven't even really understood where they're coming from. No matter how true or accurate our advice seems to us, to them, it's going to land perhaps very poorly. It's like, we haven't even understood what I'm talking about or the language I'm using. And I I think what I hear you saying that we do so much, and this happens for us in sexual addiction, is within our faith communities, we like to categorize people. And if we can put you Mm -hmm. in the category of, well, you're you're gay or lesbian or trans, and that category, then we've made all sorts of assumptions or judgments about what it means to be in that category— I, I think it's it's very convenient and clean to keep those categories so separate and and we see that with sexual addiction, which I think has kept a lot of people from healing because it's like well i'm I'm not in the category of addiction because if I am, there's all these other things yeah. about that category mm-hmm. that means like my faith is weak and maybe I don't even really mm-hmm. love jesus and i'm 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 more in love with pleasure than I'm with god and and so that whole category we say, well, well, I just struggle a little bit, right? right?
1: And so it, anything to abdicate mm-hmm. myself from that category.
2: Right. And yeah. so rather than maybe pursuing healthy conversations around my broken sexuality, I avoid it because of the yeah. category. And I think we're seeing the same thing in the church that we, we put, we want people to be in a category and that closes off conversation about what's really going on here and and helping people that sincerely are just maybe asking questions about what am I feeling? Where are these desires coming from? What's yeah. going on in my life? And and if instead we just right away put them into a category and dismiss them, the conversation ends, right?
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah. A lot of parallels there for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I, I see people in your field, not in your like in, in the topic you guys wrestle with, kind of conflate, you know, periodic use, habitual addiction, like, but those yeah. are kind of overlapping, but really different categories, right? If you have somebody who says man, I'm addicted to porn. And you say, all right, tell me about that. And like, yeah, I watched it last month, you know, once or something. Well, that's different than somebody that can't leave the house yeah. without viewing porn, right? I mean, um, I don't, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn here. Yeah,
1: but- <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I, I think that we found, uh, and we don't want to get too ahead, because I know we want to talk about this a little bit, but we found that there's a lot of motivating factors that lead people to all different forms mm. of sexual brokenness on that spectrum. Okay. Um, but, you know, to to the point of this question, I think um, we really, I mean, and this is, I still think so many of us in the, in the church grow up with black and white truth being communicated. And then when we, I don't know, get outside the church doors, maybe for the first time and experience life. And it's very gray. And it's like, hold on a second. This is not what I was told. This is not what I was taught. I need to make sure I stay black or white, black or white. And I think that it's just that, that struggle of, and I'm still convinced that people in the church assume that I have to be so convicted and convinced and 100% sure about what I believe in order for it to be meaningful or to have legs to stand with people who don't believe the same thing. And I, I think that our own doubts and insecurities oftentimes invite people in deeper to those conversations where, you know, if we're so black and white, can just push people away.
3: Yeah. 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 That's so true.
2: So we get the question a lot, Preston, of, well, why doesn't Pure Desire have groups for people who are, you know, same-sex attracted, struggling with mm-hmm. gender issues? And our, our common response to them is to say, we see sexual brokenness as a spectrum. And based on our story, our family of origin, our, our wounds and trauma, things done to us, the, the spectrum of sexual brokenness in our life can be pretty broad from same-sex attraction to pornography to you know, the person who's having just repeated affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, as you've studied and learned and listened and leaned into this area so much... To what degree mm-hmm. would you say uh, or agree that, like, same-sex attraction and gender issues are part of the spectrum of sexual brokenness? And where, uh, on the other hand, might you see these topics different from a Christian struggle with lust, pornography, what we might call the more typical sexual brokenness?
3: Yeah. Man, that's a great question. I, I don't know if I have a a real firm opinion on that. So let me. I can maybe think out loud a little bit based on some experience. Yeah. Go for it. I, I have had a good number of same sex attracted Christians who are, you know, following the traditional sexual ethic who have said that sometimes the church can do things that come off as unintentionally othering. Mm. Um, like, and, and this would probably probably go to your point, like rather than say, Oh, let's shuffle off all the gay and lesbian sexually broken people over here yeah where all the straight people go over here it's like well can i just join with you in your struggles like is my struggle so different that it needs yeah. a whole separate category you know yeah so i yeah i can see a good case to be made for um you know a, a place where people are dealing with a porn addiction some are gay some are bisexual some are straight but at the base level there is an addiction here that they can all resonate with. And obviously everybody's story is going to have a different manifestation of that. And I, I could, I could see that kind of group more helpfully inclusive for sure. Um, are you know the gender thing I would, I would, that's the only one I'm not sure. If somebody wrestles with their gender identity, maybe they experience gender dysphoria. Maybe they don't resonate with gender stereotypes. You know, there's all kinds of different variations of that. I don't know if I'd want to put them in a group where people are wrestling with sexual brokenness because that's not technically being sexually broken. And because it could be almost be like you know, some people would see wrestling gender dysphoria. It's like, well, it's a psychological condition, like mm other psychological conditions and and so it's not like a yeah it's like a sin issue they're wrestling with they're just kind of feeling the effects of the fall. you know that would be one form of Mm -hmm. that experience and not every you know again each person is going to be different so i I would probably hesitate putting somebody wrestling with the gender and a group of people wrestling with sexual brokenness but um i yeah at the same time i do know people who are same-sex attracted who do on the flip side Mm -hmm. find Camaraderie when there are other people, she's like, "Oh, you understand what I'm going through, yeah. you know." And when there are yeah. other groups, they they still feel like no one really gets what I go through. So I don't know. I, I would probably, so I, I would go back. I would probably lean towards being more inclusive mm-hmm. um, of, yeah, same-sex attracted people, straight people, you know, wrestling with their sexuality. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you say about
2: gender, and we've said that like in any group, you need to feel like you at least have a level of comfort with those you're in the group with, yeah. and if if there's right. a gender issue that you just feel like you're not even on the same page, I mean, the point of being in a group is that community that builds, the trust, the camaraderie, that we're on this journey together. And if if being in the group itself is triggering for someone, well that, that's that's not gonna happen. And so they they may need right. um kind of a specialized focus. But I, I think that's what we try to see is that for so many of us in our places where our sexuality feels off from whatever God's uh design is, to be with others that are on that journey saying, I'm I'm working through my stuff too, and maybe our stuff is different, yeah. but we can have that commonality. You know, we find in groups so often that people's story, even people living, you know, straight and in a uh, a marriage will say, I've had a same-sex story or had something in childhood, or there's something along the way that they didn't feel safe to share, but that group context becomes a place that others hear and go, oh, yeah. something like that is part of my story. And right. so i I think just letting people share the truth of their stories and finding that they're welcomed and accepted by people of their of the same gender is part of the healing that that you're not yeah. off on an island all by yourself. Yep.
3: Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Any kind of like minority atypical experience that the majority isn't going through. Um I think there is that kind of common bond of of that very thing. I'm yeah. going through something that seems like most people aren't going through. So even if they're in a group with somebody else really different, but also an atypical minority experience, um, things I could, I could see that being, being helpful. I think, yeah, you kind of hinted at it. I mean, it's kind of case by case basis, you know, if they don't feel comfortable in this group for whatever reason, then yeah, I don't force them in it, but. Yeah, I think for the most part, being in some kind of inclusive group like that would be for the, I think for most people, I think most people will find that helpful.
1: and I've seen even, I mean, you know, Nick brings it up, like that's part of my story. I've never identified as gay or had same-sex attraction, but I had a same-sex experience when I was a kid. And Mm. I remember sharing that in, it was my first Pure Desire group, I shared it. And I remember Mm. there was a middle-aged guy in our church who had heard my story and felt comfortable to come to me and share that he had struggled with same-sex attraction. And that was his arousal template was always toward men, and it was obviously tons of shame for him. But and I didn't know it at the time. But I me just me sharing allowed him the freedom and the really the safety just to be like, you know what, I really want to share this with you. And I learned, you know, right there in that moment, that how you respond when someone shares that, and it might even be for the first time that he shared that with someone at the church. Our response matters Mm -hmm. so greatly in that moment because then that could create another wound for him if I don't respond well or. I use language that might be damaging or hurtful. So that's just been my story. And I've seen that play out in group to what Nick is saying, that when people join a group and are comfortable enough, you know, together in that group setting, that that can unlock a lot of people for a lot of people, yeah. some healing for sure.
3: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you never, you can never predict on, yeah, what what story is going to, you yep. know it gives somebody else the courage to to speak up like th- those are those are great God moments, you know, where God shows up in just unplanned, yep. unpredictable ways. yeah so, yeah, that's good okay, so um this is probably my favorite question because I feel like this is the
1: question a lot of us really wrestle with. Um, and I know for me, I've had friends um who are gay and who've been married um you know, to the same sex, and so it's I, for me, I struggle with this one as well, but with topics like transgenderism, homosexuality how can the church be a place of addressing these with grace and love while still to your point, holding to the biblical ethic? Um, so I feel like this is right in your wheelhouse, you know, and I, as I was flipping through your book embodied that, that idea of the logic side and the love side, like how do we, how do we maintain being in the middle where we hold both rather than leaning to one side or the other too much?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it's context Mm. dependent. Um, so, let me give you an example. Like you know i I, I speak in a pretty broad range of churches. Uh, some would be more progressive leaning, some more conservative leaning. Some would be like very conservative, you know? Well, if I go into a I'm thinking of a church in particular in in, in North Texas that I spoke at Baptist Church, very conservative, like very conservative, <laughs> um, and then we come in and speak on this topic. It's yeah. like, well, ok, I want the I want everybody to embody grace and truth in really radical ways. Um this, congregation's not really struggling with the truth part. They're not asking the question. (laughs) They're not asking the question. What does the Bible really say about marriage? They're not really wanting to re-examine their theology. Um, And me coming in, just having the conversation is nerve wracking, you know? Well, what did I do in that hour long message I have to kind of help them to embody a a Jesus posture through this whole thing? Well, I, I lead with 20 minutes of, you know, pounding the pulpit with a very large, I brought a very large Bible, you know, really, but, you know like I, I, I want to give them the assurance that yeah, I'm not wavering on scripture. I will take a bullet for scripture. I am not, here's my, I don't, I don't be cute and kind of like, oh, you don't know where I'm going to be at for the first 45 minutes. You know, yeah. that they're just going to shut down. Yeah. Um, I lead with, here's my stance, non-negotiable, boom, boom, boom. And literally I did that and, and I do this whenever I'm in a really conservative church. And the elders in the back who, you know, who brought me in, they wanted me to kind of, you yeah. know, mix things up a little bit. They said they saw the te- the, the tension in the room just go, like, go yeah. down. Like the shoulders even went down because like, oh, I came in ready to fight, but yeah. oh, okay. So yeah. he's safe, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and, and once I do that, then I can kind of say, okay, because we love the Bible, because we love Jesus, let's look at what the Bible says about grace and kindness and how mm-hmm. Jesus reaches marginalized people who may be living sinful lives, you know. Um, now, in a more progressive environment, or, or I would even say a younger environment, when, you know, 20% of the room is LGBTQ, um, if they're not identifying, they have friends who are, this is not just an abstract thing, they have, yeah. you know, this is a really personal thing. I kind of do the opposite. Um, the, mm. the, You know, I lead with stories, I lead with telling about friends of mine who have had a, you know, I, I you know, yeah, the church has not treated LGBT people well, like I lead with that. Um, And then I end up saying, okay, now with that in mind, because we love humanity so much, uh, let's go back to the Bible, because I think God's vision for Mm -hmm. humanity is also loving. And let's look at what that vision is. So um, the content is almost word for word the same. It's just being being sensitive to where people are coming from um, and seeing what aspect of that grace, truth paradigm do they need to be. Challenged with more, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I really have no interest in going in and preaching to the choir, you know. Um, I really want to check because we all have, we're all missing it on some level, you know. For me, I, I'm, um, I really had to grow into the grace side. For me, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm an academic theologian. I'm very analytical, so for me, the truth part, it's easy for me to kind of the rubber band to kind of snap back in that direction, yeah. and and I could follow ending and just treating it like just a theological paradigm. So I'm constantly have to challenge myself in in the more grace relational side. So, um, and everybody else, you know, is going to have uh, the same thing. Areas where they're like, yeah, I I I'm not wavering on this side of it, but this side's you know more of a challenge. So, Preston, um, can I ask yeah. on
1: the you know your idea of the rubber band snapping back? What are things that you do that help challenge you to keep pushing into relationship and grace? Like, what are some things yeah. that have worked for you in that way?
3: So I, I'm an introvert, but I I, I constantly um, try to stay in conversational relationship with mm. um lgbt people i mean just yeah. seconds before i got on with you i spent 45 minutes talking to a friend of mine who her transitioned 15 16 years ago um is in a conservative baptist church as a trans woman um mm. very theologically conservative in many ways uh, and beautiful beautiful soul um and so you know um she even, she would say like, I, I don't know if I could defend transitioning from scripture, but I don't think I want to go back. And I am just really, ra- she's wrestling with stuff, mm. honestly, you yeah. know? So, you know, I talked to her for 45 minutes and it's like, okay, this is not, I can argue on paper for my position. Right. Um, but I want to listen to somebody whose story I need to hold intention with maybe a theological position, whole, whole intention, not change my theology, but at least say, okay, there's real people on the other side of this theological argument i'm I'm making um but if i stiff arm all the real people yeah. <laughs> then it's easy for me just to fall into this cold theological reflection and yeah. not understand the pastoral complexity on the ground you know yeah. Um, so yeah i, I and, and i try you know i work from home i do a lot of writing and stuff in my basement podcasting but i do you know speak around the country and for me i don't enjoy i don't like naturally need to ever be on stage again to speak but i do yeah. I do it just so I know i'm going to be in front of people I'm going to hear yeah. stories I'm going to have parents lining up crying because their son is now their daughter. what do I do? So it really does force me to keep my head in the lives of of, of real people so yeah. um, that's cool yeah, yeah. I, I like I like how you're bringing
2: it back over and over to relationship because I think if if we assume that people you know who are lgp LGBT, are just you know, headstrong in what they believe and don't want to hear anything. Well, we're going to approach them a certain way, but yeah. if, if on the other hand, we assume they're wrestling, they're asking questions. Yeah. They've got internal dialogue sure. they're trying to figure out. And and we're just trying to yeah. connect with them. Uh, it makes me think of what Tim Keller says in, I think it's Center Church, where he talks about the ABC way of teaching that, that he always starts with A, like what do we agree on? Where do we all shake our head and go, yeah, this is what we together can agree. And so, you know, when you're with an audience, that's very, you know, um, younger leaning into these topics, you want to create that sense of relational connection of like, I know people, they've been hurt, here's their stories, mm-hmm. and now we're all kind of on the same page. And then his B is, let's look at where there's a contradiction in what you believe um, and and kind of naturally highlight that contradiction of belief. And then C is, take them to the beauty of, of God's truth um, and, mm-hmm. and kind of building that bridge. And I, I think that's what I hear you saying is, as believers, we need to come alongside and find out first, where can we connect? Where can we be on the same page? and And I think this is true whether we're talking same sex attraction, gender issues, or we're talking pornography struggles or betrayal. Yeah, We're so quick to to have our opinion or to think we already know what their opinion is versus just looking to say, where can we agree and relate? And then from there, yeah, from that bridge of relational connection, let's say, okay, where, where's the inconsistencies? Yeah. And how, in a loving, gracious way, could we talk about that and bring in some truthful yeah. things? So, I, I really appreciate just that encouragement.
3: There's several like cognitive psychologists who even pointed out that, um, you know, even in the kind of the art of persuasion, if you actually want somebody to consider your viewpoint, finding some kind of common ground is yeah. one of the best ways to yeah. kind of lower the heat lower the temperature lower the walls that are preventing people to, from even considering another position but if you find a point of ag- agreement um that often helps people to get into us they feel oh okay this person's reasonable i feel yeah. like i can maybe listen to what they're saying so yeah that's uh and i think it's just it just reflects the humility of jesus too when totally. you do that you know
1: well and i feel like the people's walls that are up is because of negative experiences they've had in their past like oftentimes yeah. someone bashed them across the head with the Bible, you know, which I mean, physically Mm -hmm. that would hurt and emotionally it hurts too. You know what I mean? Like it's something where they're probably responding to past experiences that um, were damaging.
3: Yeah. So true.
2: So uh, Trevor said the last question was the big question, but I think this question is Ah, the big question that you probably, you probably get pressed in. Yeah. I think we've got the two extremes where some people would say, well, I am who I am. I can never change. This is who, and they'll even say this is who God made me to be. So just accept me for the way I am. The other extreme might be the, the Christian that says, you just it's a sin issue. You got to repent of it, confess, and you just live differently. And I think neither of those are very helpful. So somewhere in the middle, the question lands like, can people change uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to sexual orientation, gender issues, or is this a struggle they will always have? How do you answer that kind of question? Yeah. Because we seem <laughs> to have the two polar extremes in our society.
3: Very carefully, very carefully. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, yeah, kudos you to know, you there. It's a little it is a little and, and there's so much heat in this conversation that I, I really i really mean it like we really do have to be careful in in how we respond um it is a little bit of a loaded question you know don't you think god can change people it's like yeah. what do you like yeah do i think god can part bodies of water well yeah be part of the red sea does that mean every time i walk up to my pool, I just keep on walking because I <laughs> yeah. depending on God doing this because he can't well no. I mean there's yeah d- saying could don't you believe God could? well yeah of course he can do anything he wants. Um and you know d- does this seem to be and also what do we mean by change that so that term in this conversation mm, that's good. is another of the many ill-defined right. terms. Um change somebody so they will never be tempted with same sex attraction again change in how they view themselves and their sexuality in relation to jesus change in how they have said no to certain sexual experiences that go against god's will like what kind of change are we talking about? and, and this yeah. isn't just semantics these are life-changing nuances um, i've seen several people literally lose their faith in god because they were told they can change if they do if they try hard enough god will change them and they interpreted that to mean no more temptation towards same-sex attraction and because god didn't quote come through it's like well obviously god doesn't exist yeah Um, and so they ditched their faith so we're these are not these are important nuances clarity is kindness in this conversation so um yeah i'm I'm on you know i'm not a fan of um reparative therapy ex-gay ministries um not that they don't bring some not that they haven't done some good I just um, have seen a a decent amount of unintentional for the most part damage towards people's faith in some of these ministries. However, I also don't like the view that makes sexuality so binary, so etched in stone. I mean, there there has been a lot of studies done on, on the fluidity of sexuality that it is unpredictable, especially when it comes. I mean, this is not even disputed. When it comes to females, um, that female sexuality can be very flexible and porous and and fluid, and mm-hmm. doesn't mean people flip flop from like totally gay to totally straight. But it does yeah. mean that, um, people who aren't attracted to the men in their life at twenty one might be married to three kids at thirty two, and that's not uh, that's not like. Yeah whoa, what, how, this is great. Like, well, no, the it, human sexuality is very complicated, very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa Diamond's a secular psychologist, a le- lesbian secular psychologist married to a woman. Um, and, you know, she, it's, it's shocking to hear, not shocking, but it's yeah, fascinating to hear say, you know, the whole born this way idea is a, is a myth. It's not scientific. There's mm-hmm. no evidence people are simply born with some innate, unchangeable sexual desire. Um so yeah I, th- I think we need to honor the complexity of sex mm. and I, you know i know um as i'm sure you do too you know a decent number of gay or same-sex attracted people married to the opposite sex mm-hmm. um some of whom that i know have really flourishing marriages i, I know one guy one friend of mine <laughs> i won't say they won't know him anyway but uh, it's just hilarious how how unpredictable this conversation is you know he would describe himself as very very gay like you know married to a woman they have kids together he's like look dude i am still 100 attracted to men in fact i'm not even sure how i have two kids um and like seven years into his marriage all of a sudden he starts calling me he says dude i don't know what's going on my wife and i we just had sex last night. it was amazing i've never said that before and then like hmm. then they had like sex like every night that week and he, he's calling me saying <laughs> i'm not i'm making fun of you know we, we yeah. have a joke in the yeah relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah oh so dude you're straight and now he's like dude shut up no i'm not i'm not at all but like i don't know what's going on this yeah. is what's amazing so and i'm not let me say it's loud and clear this is not prescriptive this is one story one story right. one story one story right. on no is you just get to know people enough and and, and there's just so much unpredictableness mm. in sexuality and i'll come full circle and say i am not saying therefore one's general orientation towards men or or women or both flip-flops back and forth yeah but there is some fluidity flexibility some unpredictable um things that can happen in one's in one's journey so do you have any follow-up i'm kind of dancing around maybe the question but i'm kind of in this weird tension of the totally. i don't want to say middle space because again i I, when i look at x gay ministries and paired therapy i'm like that's especially when it's forced if somebody's not even. If somebody, you know, I'm a big freedom guy, you know, like if someone wants to go and try to change their sexual orientation and knows the risk benefits and everything, then hey, free country, do what you want. But where I really get nervous is when people are sold like, hey, if you do all the right things, this will happen God will come through. Like an equation. um, Yeah. Yeah. That that, that kind of mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate your answer because
2: I think we get that too about, you know, you've got to define the term change. Or for us, the term might be freedom. Like people will ask, Well, can you ever be free of lust, free of pornography? And I think what they mean by that word is mm-hmm. that I will never be tempted. I will yeah. never find someone other than my spouse right. attractive. I'll I'll never have those old memories resurface. Like I will just almost their freedom description is this robotic response yeah. to now I'm almost yeah. this asexual being. And that's our answer to people. Right. Like God, God is not going to like click off the brain that He gave you that has dopamine and neurochemicals right. and and <laughs> yeah, designed so. you uh, in his goodness designed you to find people attractive to find beauty mm-hmm. and connect that to sexual response like in a very good and holy way that's how god made us and so to say right. freedom means i'll never again battle lust may not be a, a fair use of the term but we say we believe that you can live a life where you honor god with your choices where when you feel those triggers or temptations you have tools and community yeah, to, to respond it. to them yep. well And you could really live in a way that you feel like I am. I'm not the person I used to be. Does lust happen? It comes up. Do I still have eyeballs in a brain? Yes. But I'm able to make the kind of choices that honor God. And I I think in this area of our sexuality, it is important to define like what do I mean that that I may not be able to turn off a part of my brain that's so connected to my story, to the way I was brought up, to experiences I had along the way. But I can begin to move in a direction. that that honors god and yeah. and and may involve like like you said a story of of being able to live happily in a heterosexual marriage mm-hmm. there those things mm-hmm. could happen or maybe i'm led to a place of celibacy and and choosing not to be in marriage that if we just prescribe yeah. to someone and that's what i hear you saying if we prescribe to someone well change means you'll never feel those old attractions yeah. and you will only have relationships in the way that honors god like I think that's a version of sanctification yeah. that we may not achieve until eternity to be perfected uh, right. into the state God designed us for. And so, in in this in between time, there is a lot of gray area. And I think encouraging yeah. people to pursue God's best, to pursue God's goodness, to to look at what God de- how He defines health can encourage people who may feel like, man, I just I don't know if I could ever cease to have these feelings or desires. Say, well, yeah, maybe you won't cease to have those feelings, but even so, might you be able yeah. to move towards the goodness of God in your life, yeah. even while feeling some of this other yeah. stuff?
3: Uh, J- Jackie O. Perry said it best. Uh, this is a, a video she did for our ministry. She said, that, "You know, when I became a Christian, it's not that my temptations went away; it's just that I had a greater affection competing with, with those temptations." Mm. I thought that was a perfect mm. way to, to to honor the true power of God in our process of sanctification while being honest with, you know, these our sexual desires and temptations that are always going to be there. So, yeah. um, yeah.
1: I want to mention something too, and I I think it's important in the story you're sharing with you and your friend that, you know, for someone who maybe might not ever change those desires, those attractions, whatever, they may never change. Mm -hmm. Um, The reality is, is that friend has community in you where he can be honest Mm. and he can be open and can share that. And I really do believe that living in health, maintaining, managing, whatever word that you want to use, I think that's impossible to do outside of relationship. And so that's what I think, as you tell that story, what's so beautiful is that you're able to sit in this space and be in relationship with him and you create that environment where he can be honest about, hey, I just had sex with my wife seven days in a row. It was amazing, but I'm still attracted to Mm. men. Like, that is such an, uh, that is such, that's a sentence that very few people will ever feel comfortable <laughs> saying to any Christian ever in history, you yeah. know? So, and I'm, I'm like talking you up a little bit, but I'm also trying to bring to the surface that there's this environment, this culture, this space where if we have relationship, that enables people to manage. I mean, I know for me in my own sexual brokenness, my addiction, my addiction to pornography, sexually acting out, when I was able to be honest about those things mm. in a community, that's what was so unlocking yeah. for me. That's where it's like, okay... I can do this. I can manage this because I'm known and I know people, they know all my stuff and I can still be honest. And we're all on this journey of trying to continue to pursue the Lord in every area of our lives together.
3: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I didn't realize this, but with that, even that example, you know, it's one thing to have a place where you can confess your sin in a, in a non-judgmental context, but it's still going to push you towards Jesus, you know, that, that sweet tension. But this was just a celebratory moment. Like even, even that, I hear you saying, you know, to have community where you can even celebrate some of these really personal, obviously and intimate wins. Totally. Um, that can motivate you to keep going on. You yeah.
1: Know? Okay. So um another, I guess as we like get through these questions, like, and another big one, and another and big another one. one. Um, so if we <laughs> count there's no easy one. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is why we have you on, Preston, because you're you're <laughs> the guy right now with this. So If we encounter someone who's like lock solid in their belief about transgender, homosexuality, same sex attraction, any of that, and we disagree with them on that biblical basis, what do we do in that scenario? I mean, I know Mm. even in our conversation, like situation by situation, context by context, but just any perspective you might have, what do we do in that situation?
3: Yeah. You know, this is, I know I've said this before, it probably applies to every question, but this one especially, it really is a... A case by case basis. Um, I really want to know what, like, what's the, what's the, so their belief, you know, God, no, God blesses same sex marriage. You know that that that's a tip of an iceberg, and I, I want to know, like, what is leading to that? Was it just a raw, neutral, intellectual journey where they became utterly convinced that the Bible doesn't say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Um, Is there a story there? Is there a personal story? Do they have a friend that got kicked out of a church and that kind of scarred them? And now there's an internal motivation. They might not even be able to identify to hold to that view. You know, what is, what is leading up to, did they have an abusive father who held to a traditional view of marriage and their kind of their whole life is patterned after not being like their father, Mm -hmm. you know, so much complexity. And if you just think that it's one size fits all reason, then you're not going to handle it well. So All that to say, I'm going to spend probably a lot of time and energy trying to understand, not just, well, I want to know why they hold to that view. Like, like genuinely, not like interrogatively, right? but like, I'm curious, like, I'm really curious why you hold to this view. You obviously hold it very passionately. Like, Mm -hmm. um, would love to understand that more. And, and really, I, I I don't even know what step two would be unless I understand that, you know, if if, if it seems like there's a lot of personal relational reasons for holding to that view, then arguing theology is it's like squirting oil on a gasoline gasoline yeah. fire. Wait, yeah. is that even, I don't know. Is you're just, not, we know what you mean. It's a yeah, good illustration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that doesn't seem to be the issue, you know, and I have friends who it is. It really is like they, are intellectually convinced of, of these arguments. So that's what I do kind of, okay, let's explore these arguments, yeah. you know? Um, off, oftentimes, if a person holds to that view and they, and they talk to a Christian who doesn't, like if they talk to somebody who holds to a traditional view of marriage, typically, again, case by case, but for the most part, yeah. they're going to have a pretty negative view of Christians who hold to a traditional view. So I encourage Christians, be different. Um, don't confirm their biases, yeah. um, be a charitable listener and a yeah. loving person, yeah. not because it's not a significant disagreement. It's a very significant disagreement. I don't think this is a secondary agree to disagree issue. Um, but the only way I'm going to even get somebody else to reconsider their viewpoint that I think is very wrong is to be very kind and gracious and reasonable to show them. I'm not here just to win an argument. I love you we disagree on this? It's yeah. an important thing, but um, your humanity means more to me, you know, yeah. um, having that kind of posture is usually more conducive for getting anybody on any issue, any divisive issue to at least be willing to engage in a charitable, reasonable dialogue about the especially issue, especially
1: if both people want to have that conversation. like this is not something yeah. where if you have a gay or lesbian friend, trans friend who doesn't want to talk about it, like quit bringing it up then that's not that's
3: probably not going to be helpful <laughs> yeah. to that conversation. <laughs> Right,
2: yeah. yeah. Well, and if, if 2,000 years of church history and the hundreds of denominations that exist has taught us anything, when we discover real theological differences, we don't do well at resolving nah. them. We tend to divide and split. And <laughs> yeah. so if yeah. if you realize, like you are saying, Preston, that, that our difference really is there's a theological biblical difference, that's not to say we should part company to go our separate ways, but I, I think we should take a pause to realize, okay, my... My arguments, my proof texting is is probably not going to, that's only going to further entrench them because if that's their theological perspective, they've considered all that and they've arrived at a different place than me. And so what would ever lead to change? Well, conversation, yeah. dialogue, helpful questions, consider, you know, have you mm-hmm. considered this and allowing someone to explore with you? Um, but I, I just love that point again, that you're saying, we've got to take the time to listen to what's driving what they say and what they believe. And I I love the way Andy Stanley says it in this area that people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And so people who are nothing like the church (laughs) should like the church. There should be something about the way we treat people, honor people, respect their humanity, even if they are completely different than us. And right now, as we said earlier in the podcast, it feels like sadly the church in many regards is, is 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 a long ways away from that. That people who aren't mm. like the church don't think of the church as a fun place to go or a good place to hang out. It's like, whoa, why, why would I go there? And so whatever we can do to engage in conversation, to create relationship, to create dialogue, I, I think that's just so desperately needed in all of these areas, whether it's we're talking lust and pornography or
3: same-sex attraction and gender issues. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it, apply, it applies to... All kinds of diverse uh, di- di- uh, well diverse and divisive oh, topics yep. you know so what do you say, Preston
2: if and i I know for a lot of our listeners this may be the thing that's on their mind is they're you know listening to the podcast because they're processing their story, they're maybe in a group, their marriage is finding traction as they're working through uh, pornography issues, but we all have friends and family who are wrestling with same sex attraction, saying they're gay or lesbian. Uh, transgender issues. If that person is in our life that we care about, how, how do we help support them? Like, what mm-hmm. is our role as a friend or a family member? What are some of the things that you encourage people? Hey, here's, here's how to walk alongside and do life with them. And here are ways like that you'll make it a whole lot worse.
3: What, what do we Somebody do? who is, uh, somebody who's
2: confessing Jesus, like, um, but well, I guess at this point it's, it's either or like, yeah, okay. we're, the, yeah the person the listener believes in jesus but they're they've got friends or family members that yeah maybe are just wrestling with these issues and they're they're just wondering what's what's my role in this should yeah. i just you know like we mentioned before just not bring it up unless they do should i be going after them to try to help them you know see truth what uh, for so many people i think the heart of this question is just when when that person comes to us and says hey i'm gay mm-hmm Or a a family member says, Hey, I've decided I'm becoming a woman or just the whole spectrum of things we might hear, how should we respond and how should we not respond?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, um, once again, case by case, but I think there's, there's, there's some general principles, um, we should be aware of. Um, so my, you know, let me start with my ultimate, um, desire for any relationship is that we they would get to a place to where there could be mutual edif- edification where i can help the person consider and pursue jesus and live a biblically faithful life right mm-hmm. and then um if, if, if they're also designing that for themselves they can encourage me in that and, and so on and so forth so that's that's obviously should go without saying as a christian that's yeah. where all of us would love to see any relationship end up the, the question is you know how how can we cultivate the relationship with the person to even get to that point that that's, that's where it does get complicated. So for the most part, um, when somebody comes out as gay or trans uh, to a Christian, who's not those things, um, there, there can be a lot of fear, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions, Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, lack of trust. So I want to, in a sense, reverse the assumptions that they might have about me as a christian you know um you know did they come out to me or tell me they're gay because they trust me or because they kind of want to you know it could be a kind of a react like in your face you know i yeah, i kind of don't right. want to be around you because i heard you're a christian so i'm gay deal right. with it yeah waiting for the rejection to come and yeah. when it doesn't come that could be kind of surprising so i i want to um okay here, here's something actually i just the conversation i just had with my trans friend who you know pretty heavily involved with um the trans community and she said almost every if not every single trans person i know in my trans community you know 20 30 trans people that she gets together with let's just i mean 95% plus have had a personal really really bad experience with either a christian or the church hmm. um and so if all of a sudden you meet one, you know, the trans person who has a history of a bad relational experience, we have to kind of consider that, you know, I could, this is the extreme analogy. Okay. So don't, it's just to make a point, but it'd be like being, um, if you were a German missionary to Israel in 1951 <laughs> and he said, hi, my name's Hildebred or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm here to tell you about, gee, I'm a German, you know. Like, yeah. well, it might be good to know a little bit of the history between, you know, Germans and Jews and the Holocaust. Uh, like, yeah. you may not be that. Maybe you hate Nazis, right. but you might have some deconstruction you have to do toward their assumption about who you are. Yeah, so
2: that's good.
3: You It wouldn't hurt to maybe have that in the back of your mind. You, somebody comes out as gay, maybe they're a family member, maybe they're an acquaintance. Um, yeah, They might, not always, but they might have, some legitimate bad experiences with Christians, not listening, not being loving, yeah. being very judgmental only, truth only, no love, no grace. Um, maybe even, you know, rubbing their faces in the story of Sodom Gomorrah. like, I don't know what it is, but maybe, maybe they've yeah. had, they probably have had a bad experience with other Christians. So take that into consideration and focus on laying down a thick relational foundation of trust, of honesty, yeah. of being genuinely curious about who they are. Um, emphasizing love toward the person because they might not have never heard of a christian really emphasizing that so yeah. and i say all of that because yeah of course i would love to get to a place to where they're like hey okay so i would really love to know from you like yeah. what would it look like for me to really follow jesus faithfully but man that's it's going to take a lot of yeah. foundational work to get to a place to where they're going to actually trust you enough to ask you that that question yeah. Yeah. I love that phrase, genuinely curious. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think if that was just our posture, if, if the Christian church posture towards this whole arena could just become genuinely curious, yeah. like, I want to know, I want to yeah. hear, I want to listen. Can you tell me? Can you explain? Yeah. And and letting people voice their stories, letting them voice what has happened, man, what a difference that can make. And yeah. Yeah, we talk about this a lot, yeah. and maybe the similarity here to what you do, Preston, what happens with Pure Desire Groups is how many times, you know, in a group or counseling situation, someone for the first time is opening up about their addiction, their yeah. struggle, ch- bad choices mm-hmm. they've made, did they have an affair, You know, whatever it is, and they're, they're realizing, like, I've never told someone this, and they get it out. We talk about how important it is that the first words you speak are going to set the tone for the rest of the conversation, and those words, typically we say, should be, thank you for sharing that with me. That's yep. amazing right. that yep. you had the courage to trust me with that part of your story, because I, I bet that was pretty scary to, sh- to share because you were worried yep. about how I would react to our group. And we just want you to know, we are so grateful for you. We love you, we're thankful for you sharing that. Mm-hmm. And just the way that affirms that, oh, okay, th- this is safe. We mm-hmm. we can keep having the right, conversation. Yeah. Right. And and I think because these are areas we don't understand, many of us as Christians maybe responded to someone poorly where we said, oh my goodness, yeah. what? Oh, or wow. how have, yeah. How long have you been lying to me? And, yeah. And yeah. just all the fear and the emotion <laughs> yeah. comes up and we let it come out and God. it changes that whole relationship. And so I, I think yeah. for any listeners that maybe realize in your fear or in just your shock of having this conversation with someone, you responded poorly, that's a starting point to just go to them and say, hey, when you shared that with yeah. me, that was a pretty amazing yeah. vulnerable moment and I responded really poorly and I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, that, that yeah. could change their perception of, oh, maybe, maybe we could have that
3: conversation. Yeah. yeah. Apologies do go a long way. That that really, I, early on in my journey, I heard. I, I think I apologized for thing. Like, I said I'm stupid. I was like, you know, I'm sorry, I said that. And I the response they got was, I've never heard of a Christian apologizing to me before. I'm like, really? Uh, <laughs> never. Like, a, like well, I mean, that, that should I mean, be I, was the that first one, I guess. super sad, like, right? Yeah, like, gosh, <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, dude, Preston. I I think for us, we we love what you're doing. I mean, for, for, as we just had this conversation and getting to know you a little bit more, like you just embody that person who's standing in the middle of not flexing on the the Bible's sexual ethic and how God has ordained and put things in place, but then also standing in the middle, holding those relationships and pursuing that and and not leaning one way or the other where you're sacrificing on either end. And so that's, I know for me personally through this time together, it's been really encouraging. I know it's going to be encouraging for a lot of our listeners as well. Um, So just dude, thank you for what you do. And thank you for spending time with sure. us today. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you. You too, guys. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it's interesting how much overlap and tone and perspective there is in our two ministries, which yeah. seem different, but there's obviously totally. some overlap. Yeah. So. Well, and that's why uh, we wanted to have you on, because we mm-hmm. felt like
2: we feel some symmetry there of uh, he's leaning into conversations the church doesn't know how to have. Yep. He's not just, mm-hmm. you're not just providing pat answers and we'll do this and and you'll be fine. Like you're inviting people to wrestle. You're inviting people mm-hmm. to listen. You're inviting yeah. people to lean in with love, even holding on to truth. And, and that's the kind of space we want to be in is helping the church have conversations that we're just not good at having because most of us were never taught yes. how to have these kind of conversations. Sure. So if if, if we're going to do this well, and I really think the church is moving into a new day where whether it's sexual addiction whether it's betrayal trauma, whether it's same-sex attraction issues, gender issues, like we can't avoid these conversations anymore. And if we can help the church and what you're doing, Preston, helping the church have these conversations well, then then that gives me hope. That gives me hope that we can move in a better direction and be seen as that kind and loving place where people come to not feel like they have to run away from. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for what you're yeah. doing.
1: Yeah. And listen, yeah. we will have uh, Preston's stuff. We'll have links in the show notes. But just remember, wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you're someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness or betrayal trauma, go to puredesire.org and start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to healing and freedom. And lastly, never stop being healthy.